So, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is December 1st, 2021. Believe it or not, ready or not, right? Here here it is. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we are at the end of the year. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I always start the show, I like, I like to just say good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, uh, whatever time or of day it is for you. And wherever you are tuning in, I like to just say grace and peace to you all. My name is Michael Board, uh, and I am one of the unworthy servants uh, that the Lord refers to in Luke 17. This is the Unworthy Servant Podcast, uh, episode four, and I'm just excited to get this John started. Uh, I guess you could tell where I'm from when I say John because I'm from Philly. <laughs> uh, and I just want to give a special shout out to some people here. Um, I want to give a shout out to my wife, my wife, Ann, Ann Board. Uh, I love you, and I just thank you so much for encouraging me. Uh, to do this podcast. Um, and I want to give a special shout out to, uh, to, uh, Dwayne from the bar, you know, just for, uh, encouraging me to do this as well. Uh, this is just giving, giving me a, uh, an outlet of just ways to get things out that I really, uh, just think about sometimes and, and all that. So I really appreciate that. Also want to give a shout out to a special, a special pastor, uh, in Philly, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Anthony Coughlin, uh, he's one of the pastors at, uh, RCF Risen Christ Fellowship. Um, he's just a great brother, man. Like I've, I've known him for a long time. Um, and you know, just, just seeing him serving, serving the Lord from a, from a, a distance from afar, uh, it's just great. Uh, RCF, they're going through, they're about to be finished with, uh, Matthew. Uh, we at 1010, uh, we're going through Matthew. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter five. They're they're finishing up. They're in chapter twenty eight. So just want to give a shout out to them. Uh, he did a banging sermon. Um, just on the risen Christ. Uh, from about talking about the resurrection. So that was really cool. Uh, and I want to give a special shout out to my uh, to my brother Dre. You know, um, just you know, uh, you, you're you're just a great brother, man, and um, miss you, dude. And uh, again, the ten ten family. I uh, just want to give a shout out to all of you all. And so I hope that uh, you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you were able to spend it with friends, with family, and that it was filled with joy as you give as you were able to give things to God. I hope that you were able to give things to God. So uh, and it made me think about um, just uh, certain things as we were gearing up for the Sunday gathering. And so uh, one of the um, the call to worship uh, verses that we well, Psalms that we touched on uh, was Psalm 32. We read Psalm 32 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 32 begins off saying, uh, shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous uh, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten, th- ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his not by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He, uh, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts uh, the deeps in storehouses. You know, uh, and then going down to verse eleven, I like this because it says, "The counsel of the Lord stands forever; the plans of his heart to all generations." Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his uh, heritage. And so I love this psalm because this psalm is connected with Psalm 32 because at the end of Psalm 32, you have, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And then it starts off saying, shout for joy, 33 verse 1, uh, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. You know, so again, the psalm is stitched together uh, as my old uh, psalm uh, professor, uh, Dr. Taves, uh, used to say, These psalm, this psalm is stitched together. Uh, and speaking of the we, reasons why we give thanks to the Lord, and we hear it here in verse three, verse four, for the word of the Lord is upright, you know, and by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all the host. Um, and so this is why we give thanks to him because of all these things that he has done. You know, so I hope that uh, that your Thanksgiving was filled with that. And then also the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And that verse kind of connects this episode with last episode, because in the last episode, we spoke about the sovereignty of God. And this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the providence of God. 
Uh, so again, I hope that uh, that your Thanksgiving was was wonderful, and I hope that as you're gearing up for Christmas, that you are thinking of Him rightly during this time of year, and that as you're gathering with your local church family, that you are remembering that the Word added on an additional nature onto Himself. Check this out, y'all. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made in Psalm 33. This same word of the Lord that made things is the word that put on flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and so he put on an additional nature onto himself and has made it so that we are made right and treated right by God. Right. The same word. So how are we made right and treated right by God? Because the word, because Jesus was made a curse. He was born of a woman, born under the law so that we can be adopted as sons and daughters. He redeemed us from the curse of the law as well, too, as Galatians 4 uh, talks about. So this is what Christmas is about, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Exactly what I just said right there. Giving thanks to the Father for sending the Son, the eternal word into the world he made, right? The world was made through him and it didn't know him. But those who received him have been given the right to become uh, the children of God. Christmas is an arrow pointing to our inheritance and our adoption. That's what it's all about, y'all. And what an episode we have today, because in part, my topic gets to this idea that God directs, God orchestrates and he plans all things. I mean, as Colossians uh, 1 speaks of, I'm going to touch on this later uh, in the episode. But as Colossians 1 says about the son in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, author or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. I love that. Like all things are held together because of the son, you know, uh, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What makes him the firstborn of the dead? Because he is because he rose again. He is preeminent. He is first. He is in a class all by himself, you know, uh, and truly in the Godhead. We see that the father is the one that plans all things. The son accomplishes those things that the father plans and the spirit applies the work of the son. Uh, so that's lovely. Uh, and so uh, what I want to do now is uh, just dive into the episode. And again, like I've said before, and I'm going to say this again, I will be giving credit to whom it is due because my notes are built on the shoulders of of other godly men. And as Paul Washer says, uh, there's no such thing as uh, great, great men. Right. The only great one is the one that, that I was talking about, the one who made all things uh, and sustains all things. Um, it is uh, God um, and our triune God at that God, the father, God, the son and the Holy Spirit. He is the great one. And there's only uh, weak men who are used by this great one. So I'm building my notes are built on the shoulders of them. So if I misspeak at all, I do apologize. And I hope that you uh, just um, uh, please uh, just 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 hear me out. So today we're going to be looking at the providence of God. All right. So I'm just going to start off by saying the providence of God. So. Uh, just giving a, a background to, to certain things that we do at 1010, uh, we're looking at the Westminster Larger Catechism. So like during the gathering, we're reading from the Larger Catechism. Uh, and so when uh, we were we, back when we were looking at question 18, we touched on uh, Providence. Right now we're in, in the 60s around a question, I think, 67, I believe, 68, probably going into 69 this Sunday. Uh, but uh, the question of, of 18 says this. What are God's works of providence? All right. It asks this question. What are God's works of providence? And the answer is this. God's works of providence are his most wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. That's a nice answer, man. I love that answer. You know, uh, and it's God's works of providence are his most wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures. Uh, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. And then also in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter five, uh, uh, section one, it says this about providence. God, the uh, creator, uh, God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions and things from the greatest even to the least by his most 
wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness and mercy. That is a banging answer uh, to that uh, question about God's providence and really unpacking what it means, especially when it talks about uh, his governance, uh, his pr preservation um, and continuation of, of, of things, you know, um, and you see a bunch of other attributes that are connected with it, the immu uh, immutability, his sovereignty and stuff, you know, and that's why even last week we spoke about how sovereignty uh, is a uh, this along with sovereignty are twin um, doctrines here, you know, so. Both the catechisms and the confession, both the catechism and the confession try to help us understand what the Bible teaches about this doctrine of God's providence. All right. So to sum these definitions up, John Frame uh, speaks about providence as an ordinary manifestation of God's lordship, an ordinary manifestation of God's lordship. He says that because providence manifests his control, authority and presence. Um, now, again, Frame connects those that control authority and presence with the omnis as well, too. Uh, so he says this. We So uh, this, this is a threefold distinction that we see in the omni attributes of God. To help us further understand this, R.C. Sproul breaks down the word providence. And I love how he breaks this down. I love how he does this because it helps us to make even better sense to what we mean when we speak about the providence of God. All right. So R.C. Sproul defines providence as follows. Now, peep this, y'all. Follow this joint. I love it. Providence comes from the Latin word providentia. The prefix for providence is pro, which means before, ahead or in front of. And Sproul says it means before with respect to time or before with respect to space. The root, the root word in Latin uh, uh, is videria, which means to see. Our word for video is derived from this word. Uh, so this word can literally be uh, said pro video, uh, as Sproul uh, said in one, one of his um, talks. And what this word providence literally means and refers to is God seeing something beforehand or before it happens. So this includes foresight uh, and foreknowledge. However, this is bigger in that it refers to how our great God governs his universe. All right. So. Uh, our great God, as R.C. Sproul uh, goes on to, is a God is, is God who sees everything that takes place in the universe. He is a God who sees everything that takes place in the universe. There is nothing that takes place that does not take place before him. It is in full view uh, of his eyes. Everything is in front of him. So check this out, y'all. So um, that's end quote. And I just want to say this, like as finite creatures, y'all, we only see certain things from different vantage points. Right. We only see things from a certain perspective. But our God from his throne sees everything in the universe from every vantage point and from every perspective. This is both comforting and convicting. Right. I mean, this is really comforting and convicting. And so. Convicting because if you listen to the strong rebuke from Hanani, uh, the seer, to Asa when he so so when Asa relied on the king of Syria instead of relying on the Lord, hear the strong rebuke in Second Chronicles sixteen nine, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards Him. Convicting because if your heart, he he knows if your heart is not blameless towards him. Santa Claus don't know that. He doesn't know uh, when you're sleeping or when you're awake, you know, but the Lord knows it. You know what I'm saying? Providence is related to omnipresence and omniscience because he is everywhere present and therefore he can see everything uh, in the universe. He not only sees it, but as Frame says, he has made it according to his own wisdom uh, his own and his own plan. He knows it inside out and has planned all the laws and principles by which it operates. Man, that is a loaded. That's a I love what Frame said there, man. That's loaded because it's saying that like in his providence, he plans all things out by his wisdom and he plans it in the ins and out uh, of it. The laws and the principles that go with it. So therefore, providence is also connected with God as being imminent. Right. So we're seeing other attributes of God, the imminence of God, because as we will see, providence helps us understand how God is involved in his universe. So we're going to touch on that a little later on how he is 
intricately involved in every part of his universe. So Martin Lloyd Jones, the doctor, I I, I love him. Um, he helps us understand uh, this when he says that the doctrine of providence does not just mean, therefore, that God has a foreknowledge of what is going to happen, but is a description of his continuing activity of what he does in the world and what he has continued to do since he made the world at the very beginning. Man, that's banging, y'all, right? Because it's not just saying that God just made the world and just stopped, but he continues to uh, sustain the world that he made. When we speak about providence, there are three ideas that we need to be aware of, all right? So th these three ideas help us understand the doctrine of providence. These three also help us to understand what the scriptures teach about the doctrine of providence. All right. So these also help us understand that sovereignty and providence are inseparable attributes, which each person of our triune God has fully. All right. So now what are these three ideas? Right. Or what are these three um, uh, uh, ideas that we need to be aware of when we're talking about providence? All right. So these three are preservation, government and concurrence, preservation, government and concurrence. So what I'm going to do is uh, throughout the rest of this episode, I'm going to walk through these three along with providing scriptural support. However, I like to provide a definition by Louis Burkhoff, uh, Louis Burkhoff, which I believe will help us unpack these terms. All right. So. Burkhoff says providence may be defined as that continued exercise of the divine energy whereby the creator preserves all his creatures, is operative in all that comes to pass in the world and directs all things to their appointed end. Man, that's a mouthful. Providence can be defined as that continued exercise of the divine energy whereby the creator preserves all his creatures, uh, and he's operative in all that comes to pass in the world. And he also directs it again. Uh, and that's all three things, the preservation, the government and the concurrence. All right. Notice in his definition, he says that the creator preserves all his creatures. This is preservation. Like I just said, he also says that the creator is operative in all that comes to pass in the world, which point to his being, which point to concurrence. All right. Which is his activity in the world. Burkhoff also says that the creator directs all things to their appointed end, which is a reference to his government and how he gives guidance to all things. That's banging, y'all. So all three of these are connected to what we mean when we speak about the providence of God. So that's what we mean. All right. So the next logical question then is this. How does providence relate to creation? So uh, the uh, Lloyd-Jones, uh, the doctor and, and Burkhoff both help us understand this. Right. So joint Jones uh, says this. We can put it like this. Creation, as we saw, means calling into existence something which did not exist before. All right. So if that is creation, then providence means the continuation or the causing to continue of that which has been called into existence. Creation brings things into existence. Providence keeps them or guarantees their continuation in existence and the fulfillment of God's purposes. Man, yo, that's a loaded definition right there, man. <laughs> and it's so decent because here what he says. He says that providence means the continuation. So if God calls things into existence and only God does that. So if you listen to a pastor that says you can do that, uh, buddy, you can't do it. All right. I'm just letting you know only God can do that because not only does he call it into existence, but he also continues it. He sustains it. All right. And that's what uh, uh, Lloyd-Jones is saying there. Burkhoff adds to this discussion when he says in the former that is in the in creation, there can be no cooperation of the creature with the creator. But in the latter, there is a concurrence of the first cause with the second causes. So and we're going to unpack that all the more when we get into concurrence. But basically what Burkhoff is getting at here is that like the first cause is the creator. He's the one that has made things um, and uh, what, what he also does here is that he also like none of us can call things in, into existence. Like I said, the creature can't uh, make things uh, Well, we can make certain things, but we can't make something out of nothing. But the creature cannot uh, sustain what he has made. He or she has made. And so that, that that's that's banging right there. 
So that's what we want to understand what we're talking about here. So I want us to look at briefly uh, these three uh, things that are related to um, providence. All right. So preservation. So last week I pulled out a name uh, from the quiver of uh, <laughs> of sovereignty, my sovereignty quiver. So now I have a, a, a providence quiver and I'm pulling out a name here that some of you all may know. A.A. Hodges. A.A. Hodges defines preservation as follows. Created substance, both spiritual and material, possesses real and permanent existence. That is, they are real entities that are endowed by God with active and passive properties. The created substance are not self-existent, but uh, because God is the source of their continued uh, existence. So the things that God made, they just don't uh, sustain themselves. God is the one that continues their existence. All right. So Hodges goes on to say that they continue to exist, not merely in virtue of a negative act of God. He merely does not will their destruction, but in virtue of a positive continued exercise of divine power. Creation is sustained in being and in the possession of all their properties and powers with which God has endowed them. Therefore, he goes on to say the pr precise nature of the divine action concerned in upholding all things is being an action uh, is like every mode of the intercourse of the infinite with the finite inscrutable. Now, I know that that's a lot <laughs> that's loaded, but basically what he is saying is this. He's saying it like that. The one who creates it is the one who preserves it. You know, he is the one who continues it. And stuff, you know, um, and so uh, he upholds all things uh, and he continues those things as he d does so. So uh, we see this in Genesis 1 1. We see this a few times in Genesis 1 1 when you look at it. Uh, and there's so many nuggets of truth in Genesis 1 1. So thinking about Genesis 1 1, what does it say? It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The phrase in the beginning in Hebrew is Bereshit, right? Bereshit. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, Genesis is named after that first phrase in the beginning, Bereshit. The word is create or barar, barar. Uh, this word barar uh, means to create and only refers to God as the one creating things, not anybody else. So this word also hints to the idea of continuation and sustaining what he has created. All right. That's what this word hints to, Barah. Therefore, creation is being preserved while it is moving towards an intended goal. That's banging, y'all. It's moving towards an intended goal. So Frame helps us out again by saying preservation, therefore, is an aspect of God's government of the world. And like government, um, an expression of his lordship. All right. So it's an expression of his lordship. So Colossians 1 Verses uh, 16 to 17, as I started the episode off, speaks to the fact that the father has chosen the son to create. Now, Pete, what it says, it says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So whatever we see, whatever we don't see, it was made through him and for him. And then listen to verse 17. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. All right. He is the one that's holding it together. This should make you think of Hebrews uh, 1 3, which says that the sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This means that the sun has the same nature. Uh, he is Amausia uh, with the father. Same nature. Hama, same Usia nature. So the rest of the verse says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, connecting to Psalm 33, verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. All right. Um, psalm 104 also uh, is a banging uh, just psalm because it's filled with and is pregnant with all types of preservation language. So. Psalm 104 is filled with this and it gives us some detail in how the son upholds, sustains and preserves his creation. So 104 verse 10 to 13 speaks about how he gives water to the animals. Verses 13 to 15 speaks about how he causes the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. 
Then if you look at Psalm 104, verses 16 to 18, it speaks about how he sustains the trees, the birds, the wild goats, and the rock badgers. <laughs> he sustains it all. Mountain lions, all that. You know what I'm saying? The nittly lions all the way in Penn State, all that. <laughs> Verse 19 and 23 speaks about his purpose for making the moon and the sun and how he uses them both to sustain the young lions and for man to go out and work. So like he not only just makes things and just like for no reason, he has a purpose and a reason for it. And I love what uh, verse 24 says in Psalm 104. It says this, oh, Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. Have you made them all? The earth is full of all your creatures. And then going on to uh, verse 27 to 30, it says that these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with goodness. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away your uh, take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. I love that, man. I mean, again, that is just pregnant with all types of preservation language right there. He not only makes things, but he sustains them. And then when they uh, uh, die out, he draws their breath from them. Like it's all from him, through him and to him. All right. So frame goes on to say this without God, nothing would exist. This is the doctrine of creation without God. Nothing would continue to exist. And that is what we mean by preservation. Nothing in this world would continue to exist. If there was such thing as a Thanos slap snap, uh, it would only be God doing it. And then if there was ever a moment without God in the world, there never will be a moment with anything because nothing would be. So frame speaks of these three more, three more ways that God preserves things. And he speaks about it in this way. In redemptive uh, historical preservation uh, is God's temporary preservation of the world from uh, from uh, to final judgment. All right. So that he can bring his people to salvation. So now we're talking about a redemptive kind of preservation here for his people, for his elect. Uh, covenant preservation refers to God's preserving the lives of believers and the church as part of his covenant blessing. And then the third is eternal preservation uh, is redemption itself. All right. So God's ultimate uh, providence to his people is redemptive uh, itself is redemption itself. All right. Uh, and when God provides salvation to his people, he preserves them so that they would not fall away for all eternity. I mean, think of John 10. He said, like, nobody can take take them out of my hands. He preserves us and he holds us in him. That's what he does. How great is our God? Like, he's lovely and he shows, he demonstrates his love in providence. He demonstrates his love in preservation, how he preserves us, how he upholds us, how he sustains us. Man, and this is why we give him thanks. And this is what Thanksgiving is all about. And this is what Christmas is about. So moving on, not only does he preserve things, but he also governs them. And this is government. And this is the government. This is his government. And it's related to providence. By government, we're not talking about any like political entity, no uh, civil or uh, magisterial government. Although those three are affected by God's government. They definitely are. So this does not speak to the fact that God is a uh, this does speak to the fact, my bad, y'all, that God is a great king and that he rules the earth. Both government and preservation are connected with sovereignty in that they demonstrate how he rules the universe. Now, this is why I'm saying that 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 um, that providence and sovereignty kind of go hand in hand, mainly because of government and preservation. When we're talking about providence, because this is how he rules his universe. Government speaks of that rule by emphasizing uh, particularly that God governs all events for and towards a purpose. The word govern comes from the Latin word uh, gubernare, which means to steer a ship. Now, I'm forgetting who I'm, I'm borrowing that from, and I'm sorry. I'm thinking it's either Burkhoff or, or Frame. And uh, I'm sorry if I'm misspeaking, but I'm not making it up on my own. That's some from, from another great mind. And government comes from gubernare, which means to stir a ship. Therefore, now this is mine right here. Therefore, the, log the theological use of the word govern emphasizes the nature and history, emphasizes that nature and history, much like a ship, are moving uh, towards and being directed in a motion towards a goal. So 
they have a, so so history has a direction and a destination and everything is working towards that end. Everything is. And as we've already seen in Hebrews 1 3, Christ Jesus, the Son, is sustaining all things and upholding the universe by the word of his power. This word for sustain uh and for upholds is in Greek is furrow, and it means to bear or carry. All right. So that's what it means uh, for this word sustain or upholds come from this word uh, Pharaoh and it means to bear or carry. So he is the one bearing it. Jesus is the one carrying it. So we shouldn't think of Jesus as Atlas. Right. You know, the one holding the world up uh, by on his shoulders, who's carrying the world, world on his shoulders. No, we should think of it in this kind of way. Right. This is how we should think of it. Christ is carrying the world from one point to another through time. That's good news, man. Like he's carrying the world, carrying the universe from one point to another through time. That's so this is to say that there is a destination and Jesus, right? His purpose is to bring the world and the whole universe to that goal and conclusion. So, and I'm borrowing that from either Frame or Burkhoff. So God's rule of the world uh, then is distinctively personal, not mechanical, like the Deus clock, right? So it's not personal and it's not mechanical, like the like 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 uh the, the like the clock or whatever, you know that the Deus think like oh well, a person just makes a clock and just walks away from it, you know, and they're trying to say that God is just a spectator, but no, Jesus isn't just a mere spectator. He is moving history to a point. That's what he's doing. He's moving it to a point. He doesn't just create the universe and leave it alone. No, he preserves it and he not only preserves it, but he keeps it and sustains it and he's sustaining it, sustaining the universe. And he also actively is moving it from one point to the next as he pleases. So that's good news, y'all. That's really good news. And that's good news for us. Right. So when speaking about this. Uh, back in the summertime, uh, me, when me and my brother, uh, Dre were talking about this, Dre, uh, also helped us understand this when, when we were looking at Ephesians. And so in Ephesians one, we could look at the fact that God is triune. We can see that God is triune. And I want to bring to your attention, uh, uh, chapter one, verses nine B to 11, because the atoning work of Christ, uh, in the atoning work of Christ, uh, our sins are forgiven, right? We see that. And grace is lavished on us, right? Our sins are forgiven and grace is just lavished on us. What the work of Christ does for us also is that it makes known the mystery of his will. All right. I love that song to the praise of his glory. Right. That's what I'm thinking about here. So this is in accordance with his purpose, which he that is which the father set forth in Christ. All right. Now, this is connected to govern governance. So what is the father's purpose? That was set forth in Christ in eternity past. So the father's plan that that will be unveiled, that will be unveiled in the fullness of time. Right. Is to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, things in earth. This is to say that the father has installed Jesus, who is the captain of our faith, the sure and steady anchor of our souls to be the one who moves history to his appointed end. I love that, y'all. So where do so so where do we fit uh, this into government? So where does this fit into government, and where does Christ fit into government, and where does this government fit into who Christ is? Right. <laughs> so, in verse eleven in chapter one, it says that in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. I love that. And so I'm going to borrow something from Dr. Steve Lawson uh, to help us understand what Paul means here in verse 11, because when he says that he predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, he predestined after the counsel of his will. This is what it means. It means his all wise deliberation within himself. He chose his will, right? He chose his will. He deliberated in himself and he chose his will, which is his own divine decree. All right. So it's his own divine decree. He chose in his will, which is uh, his own divine decree. Lawson goes on to say that this 
predetermined plan was so comprehensive that in, that it included everything that would occur. So everything that would occur, it includes all that. Nothing lays outside of his eternal purpose. This purpose, uh, prothesis, which means a setting forth, it describes the steadfast determination which God executes uh, and how God executes his one plan. All right. I love that. I love what Lawson is saying here. And continuing on, Lawson adds to this. The word predestined, pro aritzo, means to mark the horizon beforehand, right? So it means to mark the, the horizon beforehand. It is a compound word. And uh, when we combine the word, we have pro, which means before, and, hor and horizo, uh, meaning to mark the horizon, right? And we actually hear a word horizon in horizo. The idea behind horizo, uh, which we derive in our English word, like I said, horizon, uh, was that the end of one's travels uh, at the journey, um, one could mark off the the destined horizon. One could see the destined horizon, the distance, see the horizon in the distance, and mark it off. So, in other words, the final destination was determined before the journey began. This makes the, the execution of the sovereign will of God irrevocable and certain from before the world began. All right. And if you want to see that, you definitely can look at that in Romans uh, 8, 29 and 30, because when we look at Romans 8, 29 and 30, Paul clearly says that in Romans 8, 29 and 30. All right. He says this. Let me get there. He says. Uh, that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the son, right? So he, he called us to be conformed to the image of the son. And so uh, in verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The purpose of God uh, predestining us is to conform us into the image of the son. That's why. And that's his will. All right. But with this idea of prohorizo predestination, uh, he sees the sees it off in the distance and uh, he marks it off the final destination. Now, what's also true is this. He doesn't see down the line that somebody's going to choose him and then he chooses them based off of that choosing. No, it is his predetermined will and predetermined plan that he chooses us uh, even before we choose him. All right. So. Thomas Watson, all right, another uh, man from from, uh, from the providence quiver that I have, helps us understand this governing providence when uh, he says that God's decrees ordains things that shall happen. God's providence ordains them. So, all right, so Watson goes on to say, I call providence the ordering of things after the counsel of God's will. Now, notice he says providence is the ordering of things after the counsel of God's will. All right. So God's will, as we've already seen by Lawson, is something that uh, he has within himself and he chooses that will. Uh, uh, and like he says, his all wise deliberation within himself, he chooses his will, which is his own divine decree. Right. He chooses his will and he chooses the, the right will. And that's what Watson is talking about here as well, too. So God orders all events uh, and orders all things. Uh, after the counsel of his will to his own glory, his glory being the ultimate end of all his actings. Now, again, that points us back to, like I said, to the, to the, to the catechism and the confession that we were talking about and the center where all things uh, uh, lead to uh, his providence and where all things meet uh, in his providence. The providence of God is queen and governess of the world, right? <laughs> I'm borrowing that from uh, Watson. And I'd like to say that again. The providence, the providence of God is queen and governance of the world. This is to the praise of his glory. Um, and is this not what the Lord says in uh, Isaiah 46, verse 9 to 11? Again, and we read that before, but pretty much God is like, yo, like, 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 I've called things by my own counsel and I have decreed them uh, as well, you know. And so, for example. You know, if you don't believe me, <laughs> I will read it to you because he says it here in Isaiah 46 right here. Isaiah 46, verse nine. He says, remember, th remember things 
Remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind your trans, you, tra you transgressors. That's verse eight. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. And then he talked about calling to pray, uh, like like he'll call one uh, and, and, and do that. Uh, and I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. All right. So, again, that's what's going on here in Providence. Uh, and primarily in governance and uh, government um, that he's calling it, that 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 he sees it and that he's moving on. That's that creation is moving on to to a destination and uh, is based on his predetermined plan and predetermined will. Uh, even our salvation uh, is that as well, too. So moving on, we have concurrence. Burkhoff defines concurrence as such. The cooperation of the divine power with all subordinate powers, according to the pre-established laws of their operation, causing them to act and to act precisely as they do. <laughs> Man, this is <laughs> loaded. By cooperation, we shouldn't think of this as God doing his part and we doing our part to accomplish his will. That would be like synergism, right? He does 50% and I do 50%. No, not at all. Concurrence deals uh, with what some call God's sovereignty and human responsibility, all right? And, it, and, 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 and that's what we're talking about here. This is not the idea that God is our co-pilot, right? And we just are doing our part. He does, his, he does his part. No, not at all. This concept, as Frame says, emerges out of the discussion of the relation between the divine uh, primary cause, the first cause, and the secondary causes uh, of events that we see in the world uh, and, and, and in the universe. God controls nature, history, and individual persons in every moment and in every detail of life. Uh, everything in nature does not work by, by itself, all right? nor is there inherent self-existent power uh, in creatures alone to act in the world. So even down to our secondary causes, the first cause, God, even works through those secondary causes. I mean, think of uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and how uh, the apostles pray in Acts chapter four. Check it out on your own time. So uh, frame goes on to say God is immediately op uh, operative in every act of, cre uh, of the creature. This is divine sovereignty, right? So this is divine sovereignty and protects us from deism. OK, so secondary causes are real and are distinct from God's power in us to live and move and have our being, right? So that's what <laughs> Acts 17 speaks about, that in him we live and move and have our being. So we have real secondary causes. Like if you're walking somewhere or you're driving somewhere, that's a secondary cause. However, these secondary causes are powered by God, who is the first primary cause. So you take God out of the equation, right? We aren't able to do anything. We're not able to do anything at all. God works in and through secondary causes to accomplish his means. Again, think of Acts 4. Think of Acts 17, uh, that like in him we live and move and have our being. And speaking about concurrence, Frame goes on to say that concurrence teaches that God causes events on the micro level as well as on the macro level. All right. And I'm going to uh, address that uh, in a second. So, he uses second uh, second causes, but none of the second causes work without him. All right. He uses second causes, but he also works within them uh, and he works within those secondary causes. So looking at the micro level of providential concurrence. All right. Uh, in Matthew 6, uh, 26. Right. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither soil. They, they neither sow soil. My bad. y'all. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He later on says in verse 28, right? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And going to verse 30, uh, he says this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So notice right here, notice that preservation and governance and concurrence are in these verses, right? They're all in these verses. 
um, because he is preserving things. He is governing them. He's he's uh, bringing them from one point to another. And he's also working within those secondary causes uh, as well. Also think about this in Matthew uh, 10, 29, when speaking to, speaking to, to uh, disciples about the fact that they will be persecuted for speaking about the gospel. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Uh, so this doesn't just point to when they're going to die. Right. But every moment of them. From them flying to the sky, from them landing to the ground, from them building nests in a tree, God is involved in every single secondary cause of a sparrow. So the father is not only aware of the sparrows every moment, but as frame goes on to say uh, later on, even the hairs uh, or lack thereof, right? <laughs> uh, even the hairs on our head are all numbered, right? Since he knows the numbers of hairs, right? So since God knows the numbers of our hairs, we have on our head, Jesus tells us to fear not because you are valuable. You are more valuable than many sparrows since he knows the number of, of them on, uh, on our heads. So now think about this, y'all, because uh, in Proverbs 16, right? Proverbs 16, we see this all together, right? We see this all the more. Proverbs 16, verse one. Uh, and let me get there. Hold on, y'all. Proverbs 16, verse 1. Proverbs 16, verse 1 says this. It says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Right. Again, we see that that uh, is given to man the plan. Right. But the answer comes from the Lord. You see that the Lord's working in the, uh, both of those there. Also, verse nine, it says the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord established his steps. Right. So you see both man planning his way, but the Lord is established in the steps. So you see uh, both man and the Lord kind of working together, sovereignty and human responsibility. Verse thirty three. Right. Verse thirty three uh, says this. Uh, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Right. So even though the lot is cast as they used to do in the Old Testament, it's cast. But the decision is ultimately from the Lord. So. Uh, and we see that the Lord is working through all of these and all these secondary causes, even those that stem uh, seem to stem from freak accidents or come off of some ch some some happen happen chance or happenstances or whatever, or some some some, uh, some kind of things that are related to that. There isn't uh, a chance that chance causes things, right? As <laughs> if you listen to R.C. Sproul enough, he says that God does uh, that chance made things without a chance. So only God uh, does this because he is the primary uh, cause. OK, so the macro level of providence we see here, uh, the macro level of providential causes uh, and providential uh, concurrences uh, is in Isaiah uh, verse uh, Isaiah 10, verse five to 19. Right. Where we see uh, here that uh, that the Assyrians come on the scene and the Lord is talking about how he's going to use the Assyrians uh, against his people. Uh, and stuff, you know, and how like the Lord is also going to um, use them to wipe his to, to discipline his people. But then after using them, he will he will uh, deal with them later on, as it says in verse 12 uh, in Isaiah 10. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria. And then he goes on through it. But before that, he says, woe. To Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff of the, of their hand uh, is my fury against a godless nation. I send him. So he's sending Assyria against uh, Israel. Again, the primary cause is God and the secondary cause is Assyria going against his people because of their sins. But then also the uh, his prime, the, 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 uh, the secondary cause is shown in how he disciplines the Assyrians as well, too. Also, think about this in Daniel, Daniel chapter four, Daniel chapter four, uh, verse uh, 34 to 35, Daniel chapter four. Uh, we see this, right? Daniel chapter four, verse 34 to 35, what Nebuchadnezzar says, when I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised him and honored him who lives forever. Now peep what he says about the Lord for his dominion is the everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will 
among the hosts of heavens, amongst uh, the hosts of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, "What have you done?" Again, you hear all this uh, pregnant language of uh, the fact that like God does things and he works through secondary causes as well. Um, also, Proverbs 20, 21 verse one speaks of the fact that like God uh, is the unseen hand moving the heart of the king, uh, however he chooses to uh, as well. Um uh, we can see this uh, in Esther, like we, the name of God doesn't even show up, but we see the unseen hand of the of, of God in Esther. I mean, think about Job, uh, Job one or two, where the Lord initiates uh, Satan to get involved with Job and give Satan permission to afflict Job uh, uh, for all the purposes for Job to know God deeply. All right. And again, we see that God is the primary cause, but he's using secondary causes to get his will done. Also, Revelation 17, 17 speaks to the fact that God is the one that's working in the hearts of the king, these wicked kings to do his will. All right. Secondary causes. Now, there's a lot more that we could touch on. But to recap, providence refers to the continuation of God's creation. Not only does he create a universe, but he preserves it by sustaining it and govern and governs it to the to to the appointed end. All right. Providence also deals with the fact that God, as the primary cause of all things, works in both uh, the micro and macro level of secondary causes in the world. And again, think about Romans eleven thirty six, y'all. It says for from him, which is pre preservation. It also says through him, which is concurrence and to him, which is governance. All right. So let's think about how this can apply to us real quick. I mean, think about how this fits with Christmas. I mean, God in his plan sent his son into the world, right? I mean, in his infinite plan, as Ephesians 1 talks about, you know, from eternity past, he sends his son into the world and uh, he's born under the law uh, uh, to redeem us from the curse of the law, what Galatians 4 speaks of. This also fits with our decisions. Like God is actually working in our secondary causes, you know, for me, he's even speaking right now, for me, even moving my hands the way I'm moving them, God uh, the only way I can do that is because of God's primary cause. And he still works through my actual real causes here. And so this will also encourage us in how we pray, even though he um, can, even though he knows where uh, the universe is going and we, he knows how creation is, is headed and how he's steering creation uh, as one who steers a ship. We can still go to him and pray to him because we know that he is the one that upholds all things and he is the one holding the future so let me just end in prayer guys father we thank you so much just for this for this uh for this time and just thank you for the fact that like uh we were able to spend some time talking about providence and the three things that are related to it and i just ask that uh those who hear this message uh, those who listen to this podcast that they're encouraged to look more into uh this great doctrine of uh providence by the Spirit, through the Son, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you were blessed uh, through this. And um, uh, if you uh, have any questions, you definitely can go to the socials. Uh, go, go to my so go, go to uh, to the Instagram page, um, leave a message, or go to the Facebook page, leave a message. Um, and you can also go to the Unworthy Servant um, email. That's the Unworthy Servant uh, podcast at gmail.com. I, I hope you have a wonderful night. And grace and peace, y'all. Take it easy.